We are um, going to do just a, a standalone uh, message. Uh, so we're going to take a break from, we were in Advent uh, looking, at, um, looking at the coming of Christ and looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And the standalone is something that I feel like God's placed on my heart, um, some, some basic teaching uh, on confession. And so uh, I want to look at First uh, John chapter 1. And I'm going to read the passage. So if you would stand with me, I'm going to read uh, through this scripture. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Um, This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Years ago, I played basketball in high school, and I remember my freshman year was the, the first year I played basketball and in an organized fashion. And so I was really excited, uh, and basketball season kind, of, uh, kind of starts in the late fall and continues through um, the, the winter, and it's so, so it's, it's cold, the weather has changed already, um, and we used to have practices after school, and and I thought, you know, I was this tough guy that I was going to go practice and and sweat up a storm and then uh, leave without like putting on a jacket, like a coat. And I remember my mom would always like get on my case, like Caleb, you you're gonna catch a cold if you continue coming home uh, in the cold after practice. And I said, Mom, I'm good, you know, I'm I'm young, whatever. You know, this is fun, and, and pretty soon I developed a cough, and, and my mom was like, you're coughing, see, you're going to catch a cold, you need to put a coat on, and I just kept saying, no, I'm good, I've got this, you know, I'm strong, I feel fine <laughs> as I'm hacking, and uh, I remember I kept coughing, and it kept getting worse, and it kept getting worse, and, and one day, um, I'm at home uh, in the hallway, and I just feel terrible. Like I just feel like, like stuff you can't say. So uh, I felt this way, and and I remember um, I remember waking up in the hallway, and my mom saying, "Are you okay?" And I recognized what had happened is I had fainted in the hallway, um, and I, I I vaguely remember a thud, but I don't remember exactly how it happened. And at that point, my mom said, you are not okay. It is time to go to the hospital. 
And I remember thinking in that moment, like, why was I so stubborn to admit that I wasn't okay? Like, I just kept saying, I'm tough, I've got this, I don't need any help, I'll be fine. But it took me collapsing to the floor with 104.4 degree fever to recognize that I needed help. And, and I say that illustration because this actually describes me even today. This is when I was 15 years old. I still stifle my coughs in front of my wife because I know what she will say. <laughs> Caleb, you're catching a cold. You need to uh, eat something. You need to take medicine. And I hate taking medicine. I hate it. Um, but sometimes we need medicine. Sometimes we need help. And sometimes we need to admit that we need help. And as we think about this passage, this passage is about admitting that you need help. That's what this is about. No one here is a super Christian, okay, that just is able to accomplish their goals and fix their problems in their own strength. If that's your definition of a super Christian, no one here is a super Christian. What we're called to is to admit that we need help, to, to confess that, that there's something wrong with us and that that's an okay thing to do. And, and I'm here to confess this morning that I don't think that we've taught this as well as we could have. I think this is Christianity 101 basics that I confess I haven't practiced as well as I could and I haven't taught as well as I could. And so I felt, as we think about 2020 as a church, I don't want us to think in terms of all the stuff we're going to do for God. I don't want us to think about in terms of all the new programs or all the new things that we're going to do to try, try to please God. I want us to think in terms of all the things that God is going to do in us. And it starts with, understanding the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to confess and admit that we need help, and what it means to, to receive God's help, to receive the Spirit's help, to receive prayer from other people that we might be healed. And so um, that's what I want to do. Actually, there's, there's kind of three points, but two points are, are going to be shorter, short-ish, maybe. The third point is going to be a lot more practical, okay? So I want to walk through something that's really practical, something that you can take and do starting today and starting this week. Make sense? All right. The three points are this. Truth must not only be believed but practiced. Practicing truth leads to spiritual thriving. And third, therefore we should do that. But how? So that's what we're going to walk through. First point, truth must not only be believed, but practiced. And um, before we get into this point, I just want to break down this passage just a little bit. So you've got 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 1. Verse 5 is going to be like a foundation upon which the rest of those verses will build. And then you're going to see two sets of parallel verses. Uh, you've got verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10 that kind of go together. 
and then you have verses 7 and 9, which also go together. So 6, 8, and 10 will be our first point, which truth must not only be believed but practiced, and 7 and 9 will go together for the second point. So the first foundation verse is verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If you think about darkness and light, like, the, like what they are, right? darkness is the absence of light. Right? When you turn on light, darkness flees. And so when you get that picture of, of God as light, 100% light, there's no darkness in him. And just like when you flip on the light switch, darkness goes. Where, where God is, he is 100% light. Another way to say it is he is 100% God. He's, he's fully God. He has no part of him that's not God. So he's, he's light. And it's on this basis where we get verse 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him, meaning God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in darkness, we have no fellowship with God who is light. That's the meaning of this. So what is walking in darkness? What does that mean to walk in darkness? It means walking in unrepentant sin. We can get at that by looking at these parallel verses. So in verse 6 it says, if uh, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Uh, walking in the darkness is saying that I have no sin. When you do, right? And so you're walking in a way that says I have this sin. You're saying I don't have it, but you do have it. But you're not admitting it. You're not confessing it. So you're walking in unrepentant sin. You're not taking that sin to God for the forgiveness of your sin. You're just practicing sin with no regard to it. That is walking in darkness. And I think there's a belief in some areas of Christianity that says, I've prayed a prayer or I've been baptized and therefore, I'm saved, and therefore, it doesn't matter how I live my life. It doesn't matter what thoughts I think. It doesn't matter what words I say. It doesn't matter what actions I take because I took that right action 10 years ago, 15 years ago, last week, and therefore, I'm good. And I would just submit to you, that is not biblical. We do not get that from Scripture. I know, I'm a, I'm a Reformed um, I believe in a sovereign God. I, I believe in Reformed theology. So don't hear me saying that there isn't such thing as perseverance of the saints. I believe in that. I believe that God, whom he chooses and elects, will persevere. But we don't know. We don't have the mind of God to know exactly who that is. So there is no assurance that we are saved if we continue to walk in unrepentant sin. We don't have that assurance. Our assurance... Is holding on to our faith. It's persevering. It is, as Hebrews says, or sorry, as Matthew 23, uh, 14, those 24, 13, those who endure to the end will be saved. 
Hebrews gives us a warning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And, and I say this to you um, for the same reason that the writer of Hebrews says it to us. It's a warning. It's an exhortation to look at your life. If, if you're walking uh, in darkness, if you're making a practice of sin with no repentance, you don't have assurance that you are in Christ. We are given provision on what to do with our sin. It's not saying that uh, if we sin, that's a sign of our, that we're not saved. It's saying that if we continue practicing sin with no repentance, then we're in dangerous waters. The truth is we're all sinners. The truth is I continue to sin, but the good news is we can bring that sin to the Father because of the blood of Jesus. And that's the second point. Practicing truth leads to spiritual thriving. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, but if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, uh, blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the provision that we have in Christ for our sins, for our wrong thoughts, for our wrong words for our wrong actions. We have the ability to go to God all the time, anytime, and he will forgive us on account of the blood of Jesus. What is walking in the light? It's clear that walking in the light is the practice of confessing sins, verse 9. Walking in the light is not simply doing good works. It's not simply doing good things that please Jesus. It's how you deal with sin. It's how you deal with struggle. It's how you deal with with what you're you're struggling to to obey God. What do you do with it is walking in the light. It's it's like this idea of the things that that you feel ashamed of that you want to keep hidden. Like walking in the light is bringing those out and, and, and letting God deal with it being open to having friends, people that you trust, pray for you in it. And the beauty, the benefits of confession are this. Verse 9, forgiveness of our sins and cleansing from all unrighteousness. And these are related ideas, but they're a little bit different. Years ago, I, I owned a condo, and for various reasons, I got into some financial trouble and I had to execute what was called a, a short sale. And this is where you owe more money on the property than what it's worth. And you don't have money in the bank to pay for the difference. And I didn't want to do it, but I just didn't have money to continue paying the payment. So, you know, they have realtors who will go through that process. And and I remember going through that process, and I kept asking the question, so at the end of the day, they're just going to, they're just going to forgive the debt? 
And my realtor said, yeah, yeah. And I asked the question again. So wait a minute. At the end of the day, they're just going to forgive the debt? And I said, yeah, that's the way it works. I said, wait a minute. So at the end of the day, they're just going to, yeah, stop asking that question. And I remember the day, I, I almost didn't believe it, the day the, the deal closed, and, and I got the statement from the bank saying, this satisfies the obligation you owed. And I remember this weight lifted from me. Like I was forgiven financially. But that's the idea when we're forgiven spiritually, that the, the guilt, like the obligation that, that we have based on our sin is lifted in Christ. He forgives us. The weight, the burden of that obligation is freed. It's paid for. And it's good news. The second piece. So we're forgiven and then we're cleansed. Which to me brings a whole nother beauty, beautiful aspect to it. Let me ask you a question. Have you, um, have you ever clogged a toilet before? Ross, this is, not, this is rhetorical. Uh, have you ever clogged a toilet before in someone else's home? And you couldn't find a plunger? Where does that take you? I know where that takes me, so I've been there before. Like you, you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Like, I, don't, I don't want anyone else to see my mess, right? It's a shameful feeling. It's this feeling, I'm dirty. I don't want others to see it, right? I don't know if you've ever been that way. If you've been literally dirty, like you're not trying to go out in public and hang out with people because you smell, you don't look right. Like you want to clean yourself up first. And that shame that we feel because of our dirt, that's what, that's what God is saying he takes away. That feeling of shame, that you don't have to feel dirty, you don't have to feel shameful, that you can be who you are in the presence of God fully because he's forgiven you and he's cleansed you. You have no shame before God, you have no shame before others. That's the beauty of the good news that we have based on the blood of Jesus. He cleanses us. That takes faith to believe it, right? Because sometimes I still feel dirty, right? Like... Really? He's cleansed me? Like, I don't have to, I can just be who I am, and God has forgiven me and cleansed me. We don't need to feel shame. So that's the benefits of confession. Um, and what I want to do now, I, actually, I'm going to pause for a second, just for a second, see if there's any questions on that before I get into the practical, all right? Let's get into the practical. Question is, um, we should do this. We should make a practice of confession. And I would say, I, I called it practicing God-believing confession. And, and the reason why I called it that is because there's a difference between admission and confession. Right? You can admit, I did something. Right? But not believe that it's wrong. So God-believing confession means you admit what you did and you believe God about it. You believe that God, your word is right, 
my way is wrong, and I believe that, you, that the blood of Jesus has forgiven me and cleansed me, and now I can walk in newness of life, and I can walk in your ways. It's, it's called repentance. So con- true confession is about repentance, which, which means doing a 180. You're, you're walking this way, and you stop, and you recognize this is the wrong way to walk. And you acknowledge to God, I'm going the wrong way. And you turn back to God and walk in this direction. It's not a 360, right? That's not confession. So, God believing, practicing God believing confession leads to spiritual thriving. Let me read verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness, or Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, he's saying, I'm writing these things to you, not so that you will just have it in your head. He's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you would actually put it into practice. In other words, I I want your lives to look differently. And he says it in in the terms of, I want you to stop sinning. And if you do sin, guess what? There's a process that you can walk through. We have an advocate with the Father through Jesus. So what does that look like? Um, Practical steps. Step one, um, first start with being honest with yourself and confessing to God. First start with being honest with yourself and confessing to God. There's a, a psalm. It should be up there, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, and you can pray this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes we don't know what we're struggling with. Sometimes we haven't yet had God illuminate where we're, we're struggling to follow him. So we can pray. We can ask God, help me be honest with myself. Help me to know myself and then confess to God. Second, confess to others. Confess to human beings, not just God. Confess to other people who you trust. James chapter 5. James 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, it says confess to one another so that you may be judged. No, it doesn't say that, right? Confess to one another so that you would get prayer. Like, in a Christian community, we, we are, I think the reason why it's so hard to confess is because we feel like we're going to be judged. Like, we feel like people are going to say, oh, you did that? Or you thought that? Like, I don't know if I want to talk to you anymore. I don't know. Right? And that's, that shouldn't be the atmosphere that we have in church. Like, we should be able to have empathy to understand that just as this other person is struggling, like, I've struggled in that same way. Like, I need God's grace in the same way that this person who's being vulnerable is sharing that they also need God's grace. We confess so that we can get prayer and we can get 
healing. That's what it says in James chapter 5, verse 16. Confession, the point of it is for healing and to for seeking God's power to heal. Now, sometimes, um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I think it's one of the benefits of confession. Sometimes just the mere um, saying it has redemptive value. Like you can hold on to something in your heart and struggle with it, but the moment like you say it with words to someone else, like you see it for what it is. Like, oh my goodness, I said that. I was thinking this. I was contemplating that. And you bring it to light, and that in and of itself has a redemptive value. You're like, oh my goodness, there's light to it. And it's just that picture of light hitting darkness and immediately sort of revealing it for what it truly is in its ugliness. Secondly, and maybe more importantly, it invites other people to pray for us. And God's clear. He uses prayer to work through people and to work on people. God's commanded us to pray. He's commanded us to go to him. And not just us by ourselves, but with community, with people we trust, that they would pray for us and pray in our struggles. So... What should you confess? What should you confess? This is what I want to look at. And I want to look at uh, James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, uh, to look at um, sort of the lifespan of sin. All right? James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. It reads, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so in this verse, you see the life cycle of sin. It starts with a wrong desire that leads to a wrong practice that leads to the wrong results. Wrong desire, wrong practice, sin, wrong results, death, as articulated in this passage. And and by death, I'm including like the destructive nature of sin. So the consequences, the the ugliness, the, the spill out, like that's all included in the wrong results. Now let me ask you a question. When do you think it's easiest to confess in that lifespan? First one, right? At the desire point, right? I mean, if you think about it, if if you've had experience with this, and I'm sure you all do, right? You, You, actually, let me give you an example. This is a true example of something that we saw. So, uh, something that I've seen. So, wrong desire. Like, I could buy something nice if I take money from the money bag. And, and I think, are you talking about the money bag, like Judas and the money? No, I, I really, I, I worked a job where I had a money bag on my waist. I was a carny for about two years. Um, working at Fun Forest, which no longer exists at Seattle Center. But I was the guy who said, pop a balloon, win a prize, step right up. You know, uh, I hated it. I didn't hate it. It was good. 
it was fine. I wasn't that good, okay? Um, so we had these money back. So people would pay cash. There was no, you couldn't pay credit, couldn't do um, Apple Pay, right, at that time. So you gave cash. And so everyone who was a carny like me had this money bag. And I remember one day, uh, one of my coworkers said, hey, you, you want to get lunch? I'll buy. I said, oh, great. Well, thank you so much. And, and uh, they said, oh, it's, it's on fun for us. I was like, what? <laughs> and this person said, oh, yeah, they don't pay me enough, but at least they could pay for lunch. And, and I remember thinking, like, all of a sudden, I was like, huh, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> right? That's the desire part, right? That, that's all of a sudden, the, the idea has popped in my head, and now I'm thinking, huh, that actually sounds pretty good. I could buy something nice with this money that's not mine. Now, I actually let, I let it stop there. I never stole um, from, from them. But, but I could have continued with that desire, right? I could have started to make plans for it. Like, hmm, how could I steal the money? Well, there's this period of time where the bosses aren't around, and maybe it's a day where you make more money so they might miss it less or they might not notice it. Like, I could start to put into my mind plans to get there. Now, if I don't confess from the outset, if I wait till I've made the plans and I'm about to go steal the money, it's probably harder at that point for me to confess, right? Now, how about the point where I actually take the money? It's in, it's in my pocket. It's mine. Now I'm buying the food for other coworkers, Right? Now it might be even more difficult to confess because now I don't want to be caught. I don't want to be known for who I am because I know that's a shameful thing to admit. So my, my, my recommendation for us is to think in terms of confessing early and often. Right? I mean, it's easier to do that. It's easier to say, you know what, in, in the context of people you trust, I saw this other coworker stole something, and, and I felt in my heart this desire to maybe do that. Could you pray for me? That's an okay thing to do. In fact, I would recommend that you do that. And, and, and by the way, I'm not saying don't confess at other points. By all means, we should confess whenever we have sin. One more thing that I think is helpful. What about fleeting thoughts? What about fleeting thoughts? What about the random image that comes to your head? I think my counsel would be, let it flee. Let it go. If it's a fleeting, if it's a fleeting, let it flee and let it go. There's no need to dwell on it or get all worked up about it. If it's fleeing, just go, oh, nope, don't want it. Let it go, okay? So when I talk about confessing wrong, I'm talking about something that you're, you're actually struggling with, something that you're really contemplating. Like those are the types of things we should bring to confession with other people so that they can pray. Bring it to light. Let, let, let it be seen as, as ugly as it really is. Invite other people to pray for you. Ask God to help you. And I think this is, this is a pattern. This is a practice that if we engage in this, like I'm confident we will grow spiritually. We will understand and see God work in ways that we would not see God work if we didn't practice this. And I can tell you from personal experience, I struggled for many years with pornography as a young man. And I tell you what wasn't helpful, keeping it in. 
it wasn't until I brought it to, started to bring it to light that, that I, I said, hey, guys, people that I trust, and invited them in on that, that I began to finally see, wow, this is really ugly, and this is the damage it does, and, and people are praying for me and not judging me and giving me grace to say, there's grace from the Father through Jesus that, that now I can say, I've been porn free for years. Praise be to God, because he healed me through the process of confession. And that's what I want for us. Is, is, it's okay to not be okay because we're all not okay. And that's the point of the gospel. We're all not okay, but Jesus has come to make us okay. And it's not just that one point in time, but it's continual. It's a practice. It's something that we should grow in. It's something that we should move in. It's something that we should eat, live, and breathe in. That's the, the pattern, the rhythm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Where do we do this? Where do we practice confession? And this is where I want to pump up what we've called DNA groups. And give a little bit more explanation of what they are. DNA groups is an acronym that stands for Discover, Nurture, Act. They are groups of three to four people, same sex, that get together on a regular basis to walk through this type of stuff. If you are part of a DNA group, then what I'd like to suggest to you is that you adhere to a practice of regular confession. If you look up here, um, discover, nurture, act. Um, these four things, I would recommend that you do all of these four things every time you meet. Number one, share sins and struggles. Be open about it. If, you are, if you're already in DA, hopefully you've already established that trust where you know each other. If it's a brand new group, then spend some time learning about each other first and, and gaining trust before you just go right into it, okay? Share sins and struggles. Second, share victories. Talk about what God's doing, that, that God's helped you to be able to overcome. Like, celebrate what God is doing. And number, third, uh, number three, share learning. We are a uh, Christ-centered community. We are a Bible-centered community. We, our authority ultimately is only found in Scripture. And so share what you're learning in the Bible. And it's also like an accountability thing. Like if you come every week and you have nothing to share that you're learning, that's, that's probably indicative of something that's wrong in your spiritual life. So practice sharing what you're learning in Scripture. Maybe it's a book that's based on Scripture. Like that's fine too. Share what you're learning. And then fourth, pray. Make prayer a regular practice of your DNA groups. And I, I think if, if we can engage in this practice on a regular basis, I believe that we will grow spiritually as a church. Structure-wise, um, here's a recommendation. Uh, again, I tell this is going to be real practical. Um, a DNA group that I'm part of, meets for 90 minutes or so and this is actually recently I'm recommending these changes based on prayer and seeking God um, spend about 20 minutes or so per person each person gets their time to share sins and struggles to share victories and to share learning each person also gets about five minutes 
of prayer, okay? And then if you've been calculating um, 90, subtracting all that, that leaves you about 15 minutes of just general catch-up time, okay? This doesn't have to be the structure, but this is just one thing to try. You can meet every week. You can meet every other week. If you're meeting less frequent than that, you might need to meet for more time. If you're not meeting at least monthly, I don't think that's frequent enough. If you are not part of a DNA group, um, how do you participate? If you're already in one, already in a life group, uh, consider forming a DNA group based on people in your life group. If you're not part of a life group, um, then uh, you can send an email to the elders at Renton Church, and we will play matchmaker. And, and you can try it out, and it may not work. You may not jive with those people, and that's fine. We'll, we'll try to, we want to do everything possible to make sure that you can get the benefits of having a DNA group. One more, one more um, thing. What if you have the, the big doozy to confess? That's a real thing. What if you've got the big doozy? Um, don't form a new life or new DNA group and then confess the big doozy. That's probably not the wisest thing, okay? If you're already in a group that you trust, then, then by God's grace, share. And yeah, it's going to be hard. And, and yes, it's going to hurt, but it's better than keeping it in. If you don't have a group, then come and talk to one of the elders, and we'll gather two or more elders, and you can, within the safety of the elder group, share that. So um, there's nothing that we shouldn't be able to confess. That's the point I'm making, that God is more than able to overcome our resistance, and he's able to bring healing to ourselves and to our situation. All right, I'm going to pause again and see if there's any questions. Was it a temptation or have it crossed over to sin? So I would say just share it. <laughs> if, if it's something you're struggling with, just share it. And don't worry too much. About, I do think that's true, though. It does conceive, and it, uh, there's a certain point which it moves from temptation to sin. But if it's a temptation you're really struggling with, you're really fighting with, yeah, share that too. And, and have people be brought into that.
Peter, sorry. To, to me, sure. For for me, it, it believing that they have my best interest in mind. I, I probably have to say it most succinctly. Um, in in prior uh, years past, like John has been part of my DNA group along with another person who was part of the church, Kim Nong, and um, they're people that I believe they knew me. Number one, uh, and and number two. I believe that they had my best interests in mind. And number three, I knew they were rooted in scripture. And so they would, they understand God's grace. Like they understand that like he's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, so they would encourage me with gospel centered advice. I think those three things, being known, believing that they have my best interests in mind and then that their counsel would be rooted in scripture. question over here. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and even, you know, in my mind, the DNA pattern, like, it's not just a confessional, right? It's, that's a part of it, but another equally big parts of it 
are sharing what God is doing, celebrating what, what victories in your life, victories in, in other people's lives, and then sharing what you're learning about God. So the focus is not all on sin and, oh, it's bad, but the focus is our gaze is turned to God and Christ and his supremacy. Yes. Addictions? That's that's a complex topic. I would I would say the sources of addiction can be sinful patterns, but once you get into addiction, I think there's more complex factors, psychological and whatnot, um, at play. Yeah, I, I think either or, it's something that you still want to bring to light, and you want to invite people in on that, rather than keep it to yourself. Thank you for your question. No, it does make sense. I think it's, I think it's a really good question. I think I might have an opinion that could be slightly controversial. So let me just caveat. This is Caleb's opinion. This is not necessarily scripture, okay? Um, I think there are some things that I would not confess to my wife that I would confess to godly men, okay, um, that are more on the lines of a wrong desire. Does that make sense? There are wrong desires that I might have that go beyond fleeting, so that's not just dismiss, but maybe have stuck around for a little bit longer than that, that I would feel more comfortable sharing with a group of guys than my wife, in part for protection for my wife. Does that make sense? Because, you know, especially if you get into super details, things could actually be hurtful in, in, in a sense. But if I have somewhere and some people to process through, it's still being worked on. You know, I could tell something more general to, to my wife. You know, hey, yeah, our DNA group is meeting. You know, I'm sharing some things and whatnot just to say I'm going through the practice. So that's how I would begin to differentiate. I know there's some people might say, no, you should share every single thing with your spouse. I'm not of that opinion. And what? Sorry. Yeah. yeah, flexibility is important to keep in mind. I mean, I know I'm. I would probably advocate for as frequent as possible, like weekly, um, but. Just in reality, maybe you can only get together uh, once a month with someone. And maybe it's not a group of three or four because sometimes that's harder to coordinate. Um, like even if it's just another trusted friend, I think something is better than nothing. And so that's how I would approach that. Yeah, life is busy and I understand it. And But if maybe if you could find one trusted person that you can have these real conversations with, 
outside of your marriage relationship, I, I do think that's helpful. Thanks for your question. I think uh, I think I'm going to pray for us and wrap this up. And if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to send me an email, uh, Caleb at RentonChurch.org, or send to Elders at RentonChurch.org. Either or will be fine. Um, but I'm going to pray that we can grow in this. And and remember, this is intended to be something that we can take action on. So I really want to encourage you to think about if you're not in a DNA group, joining one. If you uh, are in one. Than, than being intentional about how you practice your meeting time together. Father, uh, I just thank you so much for your word and for um, this basic practice that you've given us um, that has so much hope in it, Lord, that we uh, can be free to admit that we are not okay, to admit that we do need help, to admit when we are sick, to admit when we do fail, and when we do struggle, Father, I pray that your spirit would fill us all and give us boldness to walk in that. Lord, that we would not be fearful. Lord, that we would not, um, that we would not uh, turn away from this. Uh, Lord, but that we would press in, that we would lean in, Lord, on, uh, by the power of your spirit. Um, and believe, Lord, that um, there, is, uh, there is newness in your light. There is redemption in your light. There is healing in your light. So, Father, would you help us to grow in this? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.